You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. When I think of personalized experiences, I think of Amazon. My Amazon.com page is different from your page and my wife's page. It knows what I've bought and what I've searched for and what I might need next. Personalization has been a cornerstone of B2C marketing. But it's an area where B2B marketers struggle because the decisions on what to buy and when to buy it are made by committees, not individuals. Branding is another popular B2C play that often causes headaches for B2B marketers. Brand awareness and perception still matters. And it's, you know, in my own job in working with CEOs, they don't like to spend on brand marketing as much as they want to be able to say, I spent $100 and I get three leads and that equates to this much in sales. And yes, there's those, there are those kinds of media that we can use in B2B, but the reality is that brand awareness and that halo effect helps as well. And it actually, what I've seen time and time again is that it, you, you actually optimize performance of your ABM targeted campaign based on some of the awareness stuff. That's Chuck Moxley. He's the co-author of An Audience of One and the CMO of Blue Triangle. On this episode of the B2B Nation podcast, Chuck and I are talking about personalization in B2B and how it is and isn't like the personalization we've come to expect in the B2C world. Welcome to B2B Nation. Chuck Moxley, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute and tell us who you are and what you do? Thanks, Michael. Great to be here. So I'm Global Head of Marketing for Blue Triangle. And you probably haven't heard of Blue Triangle, but we help uh, brands that operate large e-commerce websites identify potential lost revenue opportunities, and then recapture it by identifying and prioritizing those issues that need to be fixed in order to optimize their website's performance. All right. You co-authored a book called An Audience of One. So why don't you just take a couple of minutes and walk us through the book at a high level? Sure. Yeah. So co-authored with a good friend, Jamie Turner, his fourth book, my first book, and published by McGraw-Hill in October, And uh, the basic premise of the book and what caused us to write it was this idea that traditional mass marketing is broken. And it's broken because it's based on this idea of interrupting people. And on too often, the interruption is with messages that are irrelevant or unwanted. And, uh, and in fact, if you look at the data, a third of consumers say ads are inappropriate or uh, irrelevant. Two thirds are saying that they, they hate ads because they're annoying and intrusive. And pretty much everybody, like 84%, say that these intrusive ads create a poor opinion of the brands that are being advertised. So, you know, our proposed fix is this concept of one to one marketing. And one-to-one marketing basically means engaging with prospects and customers using a one-to-one personalized approach. And it's based on who they are, how they think, what they buy, where they go, uh, how they prefer to be communicated with. So it's kind of the opposite of mass marketing where you take the same ad and blast it out to millions of people. Instead, in one-to-one, you basically do millions of ads and blast it to just you know, a single person. So it's kind of flips it on head. And, and you do that using data, analytics, insights, and you create the, and engage with customers and prospects with meaningful messages. And you're, you're really trying to reach just the people who are likely to purchase your products and or services and have interest in it. And, uh, and finally, the reason the, the reason we kind of wrote the book or the reason behind it is 
and we identify this in the book, there are three major consumer shifts in the way people consume media. Uh, you know, they don't, they don't tune in on Tuesday night at eight o'clock anymore. So trying to reach them with the traditional TV commercial doesn't work. Um, the way they buy, because the control moved from the manufacturer and the, the retailer to the consumer. So it changes the whole buying process. And then really the way people choose brands they want to work with based on what's happening in the world today and values of brands and things like that. And then the other reason is it's actually possible. You know, if you look back in the 50s and 60s when mass marketing first came about, we couldn't target. We didn't even know who an ad was being delivered to. That's all changed, especially in the last five years. The technology makes all this possible now. So you know actually who's getting an ad. You can target it to specific individuals. And it really changes the whole paradigm. Right. So that's a that's a good segue for those shifts in the way we consume media. So let's drill down and apply the concepts here to B2B. I always say people don't take off their B2B hats when they show up at work. We're all looking for that consumer-like experience in B2B, the easy, I just want to click, I'd rather not talk to anybody. Uh, so how do the ideas in the book translate to B2B? You know, you're exactly right, Michael, that they're really, it's still people, right, that are buying. So they still like the same thing. So we actually did, we wrote an entire chapter on B2B to apply the principles after we had kind of laid it out in more traditional consumer terms. And what you find is that the principles remain the same. The techniques and the technology will be a little bit different because of B2B. And it's really because there's a few inherent differences between B2C and B2B marketing or end purchases. And the first is, you know, there are more people involved. If you're marketing to consumers, it's often a single person or a husband and wife, right? If you're marketing in a B2B world, there could be five or 10 people involved in the buying decision. So that multiplies the number of people that you have to put into that consideration, they all have different roles. And then the other, uh, some other factors are B2B purchases tend to carry more risk and involve larger dollar amounts. So, you know, choosing a bargain brand of mac and cheese might, you know, one purchase for three bucks, you know, we eat it once and we hate it, you know, and it, it affects me and, you know, my kids. If I choose a cheap CRM system, it affects every department in the company, and it tends to involve tens of thousands of dollars. So that price point, the risk all become bigger and making the wrong purchase becomes a, you know, the implications are a bit greater. And so, uh, and, and then the finally, for those same reasons, B2B purchases are rarely impulse purchases. They're almost always considered purchases. And, you know, consumers make considered purchases, a car, a home, big purchases, but we make lots of impulsive purchases. We're walking through the store and buy a pair of shoes or a, you know, a blouse that's on sale. You don't do that typically in B2B purchasing. So, um, so it works. There's, and, and what we say though, we kind of contrast it with, there's a lot of similarities and, and you kind of touched on it. There's still people, they don't take off their hat, right? You're still dealing with, with humans. And just like in consumer marketing, they buy, they justify with logic, but they still buy emotionally. It's still emotions that go into making that purchase. Do they like the people, the sell, the salesperson, or do they like the brand or do they feel like they're a leading brand? And they ultimately want those same personalized experiences and they want to engage. They don't want to be sold to, they want, you know, to engage and they want to be in control of that. So in the, in the book for both types of purchases, we kind of laid out the framework based on who, what, where, when, why, and how, 
right? Who you're targeting, how you're going to reach them, where you're going to reach them, et cetera. So we just contrast that between consumer and B2B. It's just different tools, different, different types of data, more people involved in the decision. But in the end, you're still trying to create that personalized experience. What do B2B vendors get wrong about ideas like personalization and one-to-one marketing? When I, when I think about personalization, Amazon does a really great job, right? I got an Amazon, right. it's my Amazon. It's different from Chuck's Amazon, different from my <laughs> wife's Amazon. Right. Uh, it's kind of hard to beat that experience. So where do B2B vendors struggle with this stuff? Yeah, it's funny because I, I often tell, I've told clients or told and when I've talked about this, uh, that when when a, a person is interacting, say, with your e-commerce website, even if you're, you know, IBM, right, they are comparing that experience to IBM or to, say, Dell computers. They're comparing it to Amazon. Every, Amazon has become that standard, right, in terms of making that easy and the personalization. But I think the thing that they, they, that they missed, to go back to your original question, was that for all the reasons I just talked about, they really should think more like consumer marketing, right? In other words, what kinds of data are they collecting that allows them to personalize? In a, in a B2B purchase, obviously, like you still want to know their birthday, right? Because you, if you happen to be have a conference call with them on their birthday, you want to be able to acknowledge that, or you want to be able to send them a $10 Amazon or a Starbucks gift card or something on their birthday. So there's a lot of the same data as you get to know and work with these B2B buyers that you'd want to use to personalize that experience. You also want to think about how often you engage. I think in B2B world, we get scared to send more than like to make two touches with a prospect. And yet people are inundated with emails, right? And, and studies show it takes something like seven or eight attempts before you actually engage with them. And, and I think consumer marketers get that because you get those emails, you get like five emails around the same sale. And I think they've learned the same thing. There's too many messages, too much noise. So that, that principle comes over. Another piece is brand awareness and perception still matters. And it's, you know, in my own job in working with CEOs, they don't like to spend on brand marketing as much as they want to be able to say, I spent $100 and I get three leads and that equates to this much in sales. And yes, there's those, there are those kinds of media that we can use in B2B, but the reality is that brand awareness and that halo effect helps as well. And it actually, what I've seen time and time again is that it, you, you actually optimize performance of your ABM targeted campaign based on some of the awareness stuff that you can do, say, with print advertising and other things. And then the other piece I would say, Michael, is there's surprising crossover. Um, for example, TV advertising, we never really used hardly in B2B because it's too hard to target, too much waste, right? That was when you had to buy based on programs because there aren't a lot of programs you could buy that get certain business buyers. But now that you can actually target based on people or households, as long as you can link some of that B2B data to them, you can now run. And, and again, you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be the, the uh, consumer brand spending $100 million to be able to afford television. As long as you can afford to produce a decent commercial, you can spend a few thousand dollars and reach the B2B buyers that you want on TV. Same thing with Facebook. I was surprised, and I've had seen this in some of my own com companies where I've been head of marketing, LinkedIn, we think about for targeting B2B buyers, right? Well, Facebook, 
actually has outperformed LinkedIn, at least in my last company. And, and you think Facebook, that's kind of a consumer media, but you're still reaching people. And the reality is at night when I'm on Facebook, I may be more likely to download an ebook or respond to an offer that makes sense to me in my day job than when I'm busy at work and I don't have time to do that. Um, but you wouldn't so, be on Facebook during the day. No, work, no, right? no, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I'm also not in a hurry at night. I'm kind of, you know, checking out, I don't know what's happening with my nephews and nieces and things like that. And I, I get offers all the time for something that's really interesting to me for work that I'll look at the next day. So I'll go and request it. As long as they email it to me, I'm not going to open it that, that moment. I'm, and I'm on my phone. I'm not going to download it to my phone. But if they email it to me the next day, I'll take a look, right? So I, I just know from my own experience, Facebook in, the, in my last company actually outperformed LinkedIn. So it's one, it's, you got to stop thinking B2B and all the rules that used to be because all this technology and one-to-one now allows a lot of the same things to cross over. That would be my, my advice. All right. You touched on this uh, a few minutes ago, but everybody in B2B knows that buying in this space is done by committees, maybe six, 10 people involved in a lot of purchases. And so how does that affect personalization efforts? Because we talk B2C, we say one-to-one. B2B, it's more like one to six. (laughs) But should vendors be exploring experiences for different roles? Because it's one to six, but they're all different people with their own preferences, different roles, different concerns around the purchase, different fears you need to address. It's actually, it's not one-to-one. It's not one-to-six. It's like one-to-one-to-one-to-one-to-one-to-one-to-one. Right, right. And I think <laughs> that's a good distinction because you're right. There are, it definitely, there's a difference in scale and different in tools, right? Because you have a lot more people involved in the buying decision. You have to be able to reach a lot more people. But to your point, and, and because business purchases, B2B purchases are more complex, they have different roles. They can be an influencer. They can be a decision maker. They can be a budget holder. They can be a champion. There's a lot of different roles. And the great part is the tools and technology allow you to, to respond to all that. You build out your personas. Typically, we're doing that right. And you're saying, this person is this role. Therefore, I want to give them this kind of content because they're going to be more interested, for example, in how to financially cost justify it if they're a financial buyer versus the tech person who wants the details and a white paper on the technical behind it, et cetera. So you still can apply the same principles. It's just a much greater scale. And, and then that means you have to start to segment a little bit. And I've had this come up before. People go, well, you know, when I talk about segment, well, that's not one-to-one. Well, yes, correct. One true one-to-one marketing, and I've had people go, I want to be able to personalize it based on every page they viewed on my website. Is that possible? It is. Is it expensive? It is. <laughs> and, it's, and, it, and it's hard to scale. So even with, in my new role, because I've only, only been at the company for about a month, but in my new role, when I came in, they, they had one SDR and he wanted to personalize every single communication, which doesn't scale. So what we had to do is start saying, look, let's take the 30 largest companies and there's you know 300 people. Let's do videos to those guys. Let's do really personalized communication. You got to scale though, because you need enough prospects in your pipeline. So we need to also scale out with more segmented, which we can do based on personas, based on you know where they are in the purchase decision. We know that in sales stages. So there's so many ways. And again, I do B2B all day long, right? I, I've, I've done, you know, I, when I worked in ad agencies, I worked on lots of consumer brands, but today I'm a B2B marketer. So I live and breathe this stuff every day. And 
you, there are ways to do it. You just have to put the effort in and put and start to collect the right data and start to customize, and then you can scale it up. All right. The question we ask just about everybody on B2B Nation, and that is, what is your favorite tool? What's the one thing you cannot work without? Our usual rules, you can't use a tool that you're selling or marketing, <laughs> and you can't use your phone uh, as the answer unless you cite a specific app. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, uh, my own company, since I've only been there a month, I'm not, not familiar enough to, to even recommend it, but I, I'm sure it's a great tool. The one that, that when I think about it as a B2B marketer, what I live and die by uh, and have found really important is an ABM targeting, ad targeting platform. You know, with ABM, right, account-based marketing, you're typically, you know, targeting specific accounts that you're trying to go after. We've tried doing that by hand and running LinkedIn campaigns and manually loading them up. We never could get it to scale like we can with an ABM platform. The one I've used most recently is one called Metadata IO. Um, and it just allows you at the, you're running 15 ad experiments for every offer at simultaneously at once. And we found the scale that you can achieve in a B2B campaign to just be you just can't accomplish that on a, we, I haven't been, I'm not saying others can't, but I have found it trying to do that one-off and just running, you know, individual campaigns on LinkedIn or Facebook. You just can't scale them like you can with a tool like metadata. All right. Chuck Moxley, co-author of an audience of one and marketing lead at blue triangle. Thanks for joining us here on B2B nation. Thank you, Michael. Thanks to Chuck Moxley for joining us on today's episode of the B2B Nation podcast. You can follow B2B Nation from Technology Advice on LinkedIn and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Thanks also to the Technology Advice crew, Amy Dunn, KJ Pace, and Hunter Hill. Mnemonics in the Guild wrote our theme song. We'll catch you next time on B2B Nation. Music.